Chapter One, Part One of Principia Ethica. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Frederick Carlson. Principia Ethica by G. E. Moore. Chapter One: The Subject Matter of Ethics. One. It is very easy to point out some among our everyday judgments with the truth of which ethics is undoubtedly concerned. Whenever we say so and so is a good man or that fellow is a villain whenever we ask what ought i to do or is it wrong for me to do like this whenever we hazard such remarks as temperance is a virtue and drunkenness a vice it is undoubtedly the business of ethics to discuss such questions and such statements to argue what is the true answer when we ask what is right to do and to give reasons for thinking that our statements about the character of persons or the morality of actions are true or false in the vast majority of cases where we make statements involving any of the terms virtue, vice, duty, right, ought, good, bad, we are making ethical judgments, and if we wish to discuss their truth, we shall be discussing a point of ethics. So much as this is not disputed, but it falls very short of defining the province of ethics. That province may indeed be defined as the whole truth about that which is at the same time common to all such judgments and peculiar to them. But we have still to ask the question, what is it that is thus common and peculiar? And this is a question to which very different answers have been given by ethical philosophers of acknowledged reputation, and none of them, perhaps, completely satisfactory. 2. If we take such examples as those given above, we shall not be far wrong in saying that they are all of them concerned with the question of conduct, with the question what, in the conduct of us, human beings, is good, and what is bad, what is right, and what is wrong. For when we say that a man is good, we commonly mean that he acts rightly. When we say that a drunkenness is a vice, we commonly mean that to get drunk is a wrong or a wicked action. And this discussion of human conduct is, in fact, that with which the name ethics is most intimately associated. It is so associated by derivation, and conduct is undoubtedly by far the commonest and most generally interesting object of ethical judgments. Accordingly, we find that many ethical philosophers are disposed to accept as an adequate definition of ethics the statement that deals with the question what is good or bad in human conduct. They hold that its inquiries are properly confined to conduct or to practice. They hold that the name practical philosophy covers all the matter with which it has to do. Now, without discussing the proper meaning of the word, for verbal questions are properly left to the writers of dictionaries and other persons interested in literature. Philosophers, as we shall see, has no concern with them. I may say that I intend to use ethics to cover more than this, a usage for which there is, I think, quite sufficient authority. I am using it to cover an inquiry for which, at all events, there is no other word, the general inquiry into what is good. Ethics is undoubtedly concerned with the question what good conduct is, but being concerned with this, it obviously does not start at the beginning unless it is prepared to tell us what is good as well as what is conduct. For good conduct is a complex notion. All conduct is not good, for some is certainly bad and some may be indifferent. And on the other hand, other things beside conduct may be good, and if they are so, then good denotes some property that is common to them and conduct. 
and if we examine good conduct alone of all good things then we shall be in danger of mistaking for this property some property which is not shared by those things and thus we shall have made a mistake about ethics even in this limited sense for we shall not know what good conduct really is this is a mistake which many writers have actually made from limiting their inquiry to conduct and hence i shall try to avoid it by considering first what is good in general hoping that if we can arrive at any certainty about this it will be much easier to settle the question of good conduct for we all know pretty well what conduct is this then is our first question what is good and what is bad and to the discussion of this question or these questions i give the name ethics since the science must at all events include it three but this is a question which may have many meanings if for example each of us were to say i am doing good now or i had a good dinner yesterday these statements would each of them be some sort of answer to our question although perhaps a false one so too when a asks b what school he ought to send his son to b answers will certainly be an ethical judgment and similarly all distribution of praise or blame to any personage or thing that has existed now exists or will exist does give some answer to the question what is good in all such cases some particular thing is judged to be good or bad the question what is answered by this but this is not the sense into which a scientific ethics asks the question not one of all the many million answers of this kind which must be true can form a part of an ethical system although that science must contain reasons and principles sufficient for deciding on the truth of all of them there are far too many persons things and events in the world past present or to come for a discussion for their individual merits to be embraced in any science ethics therefore does not deal at all with facts of this nature facts that are unique individual absolutely particular facts with which such studies as history geography astronomy are compelled in part at least to deal and for this reason it is not the business of the ethical philosopher to give personal advice or exhortation four but there is another meaning which may be given to the question what is good books are good would be an answer to it though an answer obviously false for some goods are very bad indeed and ethical judgments of this kind do indeed belong to ethics though i shall not deal with many of them such is the judgment pleasure is good a judgment of which ethics should discuss the truth although it is not nearly as important as the other judgment with which we shall be much occupied presently pleasure alone is good it is judgments of this sort which are made in such books on ethics as contain a list of virtues in aristotle's ethics for example but it is the judgments of precisely the same kind which form the substance of what is commonly supposed to be a study different from ethics and one much less respectable the study of casuistry we may be told that casuistry differs from ethics in that it is much more detailed and particular ethics much more general but it is most important to notice that casuistry does not deal with anything that is absolutely particular particularly in the only sense in which a perfectly precise line can be drawn between it and what is general 
It is not particular in the sense just noticed, the sense in which this book is a particular book, and A's friend's advice particular advice. Casuistry may indeed be more particular and ethics more general, but that means they differ only in degree and not in kind. And this is universally true of particular and general when used in this common but inaccurate sense. So far as ethics allows itself to give lists of virtues or even to name constituents of the ideal, it is indistinguishable from casuistry. Both alike deal with what is general in the sense in which physics and chemistry deal with what is general. Just as chemistry aims at discovering what are the properties of oxygen wherever it occurs, and not only of this or that particular specimen of oxygen, so casuistry aims at discovering what actions are good whenever they occur. In this respect, ethics and casuistry alike are to be classed with such sciences as physics, chemistry, and physiology in their absolute distinctions from those of which history and geography are instances. And it is to be noted that, owing to their detailed nature, casuistical investigations are actually nearer to physics and to chemistry than are the investigations usually assigned to ethics. For just as physics cannot rest content with the discovery that light is propagated by waves of ether, but must go on to discover the particular nature of ether waves corresponding to each several color, so casuistry, not content with the general law that charity is a virtue, must attempt to discover the relative merits of every different form of charity. Casuistry forms, therefore, part of the ideal of the ethical science. Ethics cannot be complete without it. The defects of casuistry are not defects of principle. No objection can be taken to its aim and object. It has failed only because it is far too difficult a subject to be treated adequately in our present state of knowledge. The casuist has been unable to distinguish, in the cases which he treats, those elements upon which their value depends. Hence he often thinks two cases to be alike in respect of value, when in reality they are alike only in some other respect. It is to mistakes of this kind that the pernicious influence of such investigations has been due. For casuistry is the goal of ethical investigation. It cannot be safely attempted at the beginning of our studies, but only at the end. 5. But our question, what is good, may still have another meaning. We may, in the third place, mean to ask, not what thing or things are good, but how good is to be defined. This is an inquiry which belongs only to ethics, not to casuistry, and this is the inquiry which will occupy us first. It is an inquiry to which most special attention should be directed, since this question, how good is to be defined, is the most fundamental question in all ethics. That which is meant by good is, in fact, except its converse bad, the only simple object of thought which is peculiar to ethics. Its definition is, therefore, the most essential point in the definition of ethics, and moreover a mistake with regard to it entails a far larger number of erroneous ethical judgments than any other. Unless this first question be fully understood, and its true answer clearly recognized, the rest of ethics is as good as useless from the point of view of systematic knowledge. True ethical judgments of the two kinds last dealt with may indeed be made by those who do not know the answer to this question as well as by those who do, and it goes without saying that the two classes of people may live equally good lives. But it is extremely unlikely that the most general ethical judgments will be equally valid in the absence of a true answer to this question. 
I shall presently try to show that the gravest errors have been largely due to beliefs in a false answer, and in any case it is impossible that, till the answer to this question be known, any one should know what is the evidence for any ethical judgment whatsoever. But the main object of ethics, as a systematic science, is to give correct reasons for thinking that this is or that is good, and unless this question be answered, such reasons cannot be given. Even, therefore, apart from the fact that a false answer leads to false conclusions, the present inquiry is a most necessary and important part of the science of ethics. 6. What, then, is good? How is good to be defined? Now it may be thought that this is a verbal question. A definition does indeed often mean the expressing of one word's meaning in other words. But this is not the sort of definition I am asking for. Such a definition can never be of ultimate importance to any study except lexicography. If I wanted that kind of definition, I should have to consider in the first place how people generally use the word good. But my business is not with its proper usage, as established by custom. I should indeed be foolish if I tried to use it for something which it did not usually denote. If, for instance, I were to announce that whenever I used the word good, I must be understood to be thinking of that object which is usually denoted by the word table. I shall therefore use the word in the sense in which I think it is ordinarily used, but at the same time I am not anxious to discuss whether I am right in thinking it is so used my business is solely with that object or idea which i hold rightly or wrongly that the word is generally used to stand for what i want to discover is the nature of that object or idea and about this i am extremely anxious to arrive at an agreement but if we understand the question in this sense my answer to it may seem a very disappointing one if i am asked what is good my answer is that good is good and that is the end of the matter or if I am asked how is good to be defined, my answer is that it cannot be defined, and that is all I have to say about it. But disappointing as these answers may appear, they are of the very last importance. To readers who are familiar with philosophic terminology, I can express their importance by saying that they amount to this, that propositions about the good are all of them synthetic and never analytic, and that is plainly no trivial matter and the same thing may be expressed more popularly by saying that if i am right then nobody can foist upon us such an axiom as that pleasure is the only good or that the good is the desired on the pretense that this is the very meaning of the word seven let us then consider this position my point is that good is a simple notion just as yellow is a simple notion that just as you cannot by any manner of means explain to anyone who does not already know it what yellow is so you cannot explain what good is definitions of the kind that i was asking for definitions which describe the real nature of the object or notion denoted by a word and which do not merely tell us what the word is used to mean are only possible when the object or notion in question is something complex you can give a definition of a horse, because a horse has many different properties and qualities, all of which you can enumerate. But when you have enumerated them all, when you have reduced a horse to his simplest terms, you can no longer define those terms. 
they are simply something which you think of or perceive and to anyone who cannot think of or perceive them you can never by any definition make their nature known it may perhaps be objected to this that we are able to describe to others objects which they have never seen or thought of we can for instance make a man understand what a chimera is although he has never heard of one or seen one you can tell him that it is an animal with a lioness head and body with a goat's head growing from the middle of its back and with a snake in place of its tail but here the object which you are describing is a complex object it is entirely composed of parts with which we are perfectly familiar a snake a goat a lioness and we know too the manner in which those parts are to be put together because we know what is meant by the middle of a lioness back and where her tail is wont to grow and so it is with all objects not previously known which we are able to define they are all complex all composed of parts which may themselves in the first instance be capable of similar definition but which must in the end be reducible to simplest parts which can no longer be defined but yellow and good we say are not complex they are notions of that simple kind out of which definitions are composed and with which the power of further defining ceases eight when we say as webster says the definition of the horse is a hoofed quadruped of the genus equus we may in fact mean three different things one we may mean merely when i say horse you are to understand that i am talking about a hoofed quadruped of the genus equus this might be called the arbitrary verbal definition and i do not mean that good is indefinable in that sense two we may mean as webster ought to mean when most english people say horse they mean a hoofed quadruped of the genus equus this may be called the verbal definition proper and i do not say that good is indefinable in this sense either for it is certainly possible to discover how people use a word otherwise we could never have known that good may be translated by gut in german and by bon in french but three we may when we define horse mean something much more important we may mean that a certain object which we all of us know is composed in a certain manner that it has four legs a head a heart a liver etc etc all of them arranged in definite relations to one another it is in this sense that i deny good to be definable i say that it is not composed of any parts which we can substitute for it in our minds when we are thinking of it we might think just as clearly and correctly about a horse if we thought of all its parts and their arrangements instead of thinking of the whole it is in this sense that i deny good to be definable i say that it is not composed of any parts which we can substitute for it in our minds when we are thinking of it we might think just as clearly and correctly about a horse if we thought of all its parts and their arrangements instead of thinking of the whole we could i say think how a horse differed from a donkey just as well just as truly in this way as now we do only not so easily but there is nothing whatsoever which we could substitute for good and that is what i mean when i say that good is indefinable nine but i am afraid i have still not removed the chief difficulty which may prevent acceptance of the proposition that the good is indefinable i do not mean to say that the good that which is good is thus indefinable 
If I did think so, I should not be writing on ethics, for my main object is to help towards discovering that definition. It is just because I think there will be less risk of error in our search for a definition of the good that I am now insisting that good is indefinable. I must try to explain the difference between these two. I suppose it may be granted that good is an adjective. Well, the good, that which is good, must therefore be the substantive to which the adjective good will apply. It must be the whole of that to which the adjective will apply, and the adjective must always truly apply to it. But if it is that to which the adjective will apply, it must be something different from that adjective itself. And the whole of that something different, whatever it is, will be our definition of the good. Now it may be that this something will have other adjectives beside good that will apply to it. It may be full of pleasure, for example, it may be intelligent, and if those two adjectives are really part of its definition, then it will certainly be true that pleasure and intelligence are good. And many people appear to think that if we say pleasure and intelligence are good, or if we say only pleasure and intelligence are good, we are defining good. Well, I cannot deny that propositions of this nature may sometimes be called definitions. I do not know well enough how the word is generally used to decide upon this point. I only wish it to be understood that that is not what I mean when I say there is no possible definition of good, and that I shall not mean this if I use the word again. I do most fully believe that some true proposition of the form intelligence is good and intelligence alone is good can be found. If none could be found, our definition of the good would be impossible. As it is, I believe the good to be definable, and yet I still say that good itself is indefinable. 10. Good, then, if we mean by it the quality which we assert to belong to a thing when we say that the thing is good, is incapable of any definition, in the most important sense of the word. The most important sense of definition is that in which a definition states what are the parts which invariably compose a certain whole, and in this sense good has no definition because it is simple and has no parts. It is one of those innumerable objects of thought which are themselves incapable of definition because they are the ultimate terms of reference to which whatever is capable of definition must be defined. That there must be an indefinite number of such terms is obvious on reflection, since we cannot define anything except by an analysis which, when carried as far as it will go, refers us to something which is simply different from anything else, and which by that ultimate difference explains the peculiarity of the whole which we are defining. For every whole contains some parts which are common to other wholes also. There is, therefore, no intrinsic difficulty in the contention that good denotes a simple and indefinable quality. There are many other instances of such qualities. Consider yellow, for example. We may try to define it by describing its physical equivalent. We may state what kind of light vibrations must stimulate the normal eye in order that we may perceive it. But a moment's reflection is sufficient to shew that those light vibrations are not themselves what we mean by yellow. They are not what we perceive. Indeed, we should never have been able to discover their existence unless we had first been struck by the patent difference of quality between the different colors. 
the most we can be entitled to say of those vibrations is that they are what corresponds in space to the yellow which we actually perceive yet a mistake of this simple kind has commonly been made about good it may be true that all things which are good are also something else just as it is true that all things which are yellow produce a certain kind of vibration in the light and it is a fact that ethics aims at discovering what are those other properties belonging to all things which are good but far too many philosophers have thought that when they named those other properties they were actually defining good that these properties in fact were simply not other but absolutely and entirely the same with goodness this view i propose to call the naturalistic fallacy and of it i shall now endeavour to dispose eleven let us consider what it is such philosophers say and first it is to be noticed that they do not agree among themselves they not only say that they are right as to what good is but they endeavour to prove that other people who say that it is something else are wrong one for instance will affirm that good is pleasure another perhaps that good is that which is desired and each of these will argue eagerly to prove that other people who say that it is something else are wrong but how is that possible one of them says the good is nothing but the object of desire and at the same time tries to prove that it is not pleasure but from this assertion that good just means the object of desire one of two things must follow as regards his proof one he may be trying to prove that the object of desire is not pleasure but if this be all where is his ethics the position he is maintaining is merely a psychological one desire is something which occurs in our mind and pleasure is something else which so occurs and our would-be ethical philosopher is merely holding that the latter is not the object of the former but what has that to do with the question in dispute his opponent held the ethical proposition that pleasure was the good and although he should prove a million times over the psychological proposition that pleasure is not the object of desire he is no nearer proving his opponent to be wrong the position is like this one man says a triangle is a circle another replies a triangle is a straight line and i will prove to you that i am right for this is the only argument a straight line is not a circle that is quite true the other may reply but nevertheless a triangle is a circle and you have said nothing whatever to prove the contrary what is proved is that one of us is wrong for we agree that a triangle cannot be both a straight line and a circle but which is wrong there can be no earthly means of proving since you define triangle as straight line and i define it as circle well that is one alternative which any naturalistic ethics has to face if good is defined as something else then it is impossible either to prove that any other definition is wrong or even to deny such definition two the other alternative will scarcely be more welcome it is that the discussion is after all a verbal one when a says good means pleasant and b says good means desired they may merely wish to assert that most people have used the word for what is pleasant and for what is desired respectively and this is quite an interesting subject for discussion only it is not a whit more an ethical discussion than the last was 
nor do i think that any exponent of naturalistic ethics would be willing to allow that this was all he meant they are also anxious to persuade us that what they call the good is what we really ought to do do pray act so because the word good is generally used to denote actions of this nature such on this view would be the substance of their teaching and in so far as they tell us how we ought to act their teaching is truly ethical as they mean it to be but how perfectly absurd is the reason they would give for it you ought to do this because most people use a certain word to denote conduct such as this you are to say the thing which is not because most people call it lying that is an argument just as good my dear sirs what we want to know from you as ethical teachers is not how people use a word it is not even what kind of actions they approve which the use of this word good may certainly imply what we want to know is simply what is good we may indeed agree that what most people do think good is actually so we shall at all events be glad to know their opinions but when we say that their opinions about what is good we do mean what we say we do not care whether they call that thing horse or table or chair gut or bon or agathos we want to know what it is that they so call when they say pleasure is good we cannot believe that they merely mean pleasure is pleasure and nothing more than that end of chapter one part one